Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. Okay, why don't we uh, uh, start the uh, session with a... uh a moment of uh, silence and then uh, the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Okay. Um, uh, I was asked to speak about uh, some of my favorite passages from the big book, which is a little bit like uh, 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 answering the question, which of your children do you love the most? And uh, there's so much in the book that I, uh, that I find uh, really inspiring. Uh, but as I thought about this, I decided that I would uh, uh, go from uh, to follow a, a uh, outline that is uh, somewhat uh, laid out uh, in the steps and also in the traditions, where, first of all, uh, the problem is identified, described, and clarified, and then the solution to the problem is given. So uh, um, the, the first thing that I want to start with is looking at the doctor's opinion uh, because I think this lays the foundation of um, uh, step one of why is it that we are powerless over lust? And even though I'm coming from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, uh, Dr. Silkworth's description of the effect of alcohol on the alcoholic uh, very precisely describes uh, my experience of how lust affects me. Uh, now, one of the problems with the doctor's opinion is that it's in the Roman numeral uh, section. And if you're following in your big book and find the section of the doctor's opinion, um, uh, uh, I'm going to uh, begin with a quote from the fourth page of the doctor's opinion. Um, and uh, 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 the, uh, the first full paragraph on that page Um, I'm going to read uh, a good portion of that. It says, we believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy. That the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And uh, this is where Dr. Silkworth uh, uh, introduces the idea that uh, alcoholics are allergic to alcohol in the same way that Roy in the White Book uh, on pages 40 and 41 uh, described the sexaholic as being allergic to lust. And uh, Dr. Silkworth goes on to explain that the manifestation of the allergy is this phenomenon of craving. Um, I personally am allergic to uh, uh, certain pollens and uh, an animal dander, and that allergy manifests itself as a uh, stuffy nose um, and watery eyes. Uh, There are other allergies that people may have uh, to certain foods where if they take a bite of it, 
uh, their throat begins to swell shut and they can't breathe. Um, and uh, as a uh, sexaholic, my reaction to lust is that once I take the first drink of lust, the phenomenon of craving begins and I find myself wanting more and more. And uh, that, uh, that phenomenon, phenomenon of craving uh, is, is only uh, stopped uh, when I either uh, become physically exhausted or something interrupts me so that I can no longer uh, continue to pursue lust. Um, on, the, on the next page, uh, at the bottom of that page, um, uh, he goes on to describe uh, the power that this phenomenon of craving has. And uh, that, uh, I'm going to read that bottom paragraph where he says, I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I have had many men for who I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal, which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date, and then the phenomenon of craving at once became paramount to all other interests, so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. There are many situations which arise out of the phenomenon of craving, which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. And again, the point that uh, he's making here is that no matter how important um, uh, some, uh, something else may be, once the phenomenon of craving uh, uh, takes effect, uh, that becomes the driving force of our behavior. And his comment about the supreme sacrifice is uh, an experience that uh, those of us who've been around for a while know only too well. And that is that, uh, that sexaholics who find themselves unable to get sober and get into recovery from their sexaholism often kill themselves rather than continue to struggle with the pain that is sexaholism. Um, further down uh, uh, that same page, near the bottom of the page, um, uh, uh, one uh, uh, final paragraph um, about craving. He says, all these and many others, all these different types of sexaholics, um, and alcoholics have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Um, so, so, uh, we have basically one more time where he is explaining that if you have this allergy, uh, and he's describing the, the allergy to alcohol for chronic alcoholics, but if you're a sexaholic and you have this allergy to lust, you cannot, uh, start drinking without finding yourself, uh, overcome with this phenomenon of craving where after the first drink, the first look, um, the first uh, fantasy, you, you are drawn ever more, further and further, more and more and more. Uh, and and uh, that, that is the, uh, the, the, the problem that, that, uh, that the alcoholic or sexaholic uh, has as it relates to their allergy. Um, uh, now, um, the other part of the, uh, of the problem uh, is if you know that you're allergic to something, for example, if you're allergic to strawberries, there's a very simple solution, and that is don't eat strawberries. So the question uh, that might reasonably be asked is, um, as, they, as they bring up on page uh, 23 of the, of the book, um, uh, 
uh, at the top paragraph, it says, these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic or sexaholic centers in his mind rather than his body. Uh, and the question, if you ask someone why uh, uh, did you act out the last time, they usually won't be able to give you um, a good answer, uh, especially in light of the uh, terrible consequences they may have experienced at that point. Um, and further down that page, uh, there is a, uh, a line about the obsession. It says, there is the obsession that somehow, they, someday, they will beat the game. Um, and that, that obsession is what tells us uh, next time will be different. Now, thousands of, uh, of experiences uh, prove to us that the next time is, uh, is pretty much like the last time, frequently worse, but there's this, this insane hope. And over on the next page, 24, uh, they go on to describe how this obsession uh, uh, affects us. It says the almost certain consequences that follow taking even a glass of beer do not crowd into the mind to deter us. If these thoughts occur, they are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. And again, this is how the obsession works. Um, uh, uh, they said before that somehow, someday we'll beat the game. We tell ourselves this time it'll be different. This time we'll handle ourselves okay. And uh, he uses the analogy of taking even a glass of beer. But for those of us with the lust addiction, it may start by looking at a simple picture on a magazine that no one w would consider uh, pornographic, but for us, it's the image and what our mind does with the image. And once we take that first sip of lust, then we want to look at, at something else even more explicit, more and more, and we keep going on until we find ourselves um, uh, acting out in, in, in full-blown mode. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and, and then, uh, uh, the, the final comment I want to offer about, uh, the obsession, uh, appears on page, uh, 37 and, uh, it's, it's, uh, 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 the, uh, the, uh, the comment, uh, that, um, um, alongside, in the, this is in the middle of page 37, but there was always the curious mental phenomenon that parallel to our sound reasoning, there inevitably ran some insanely trivial excuse for taking the first drink. Our sound reasoning failed to hold us in check. The insane idea won out. And, and again, uh, that is, uh, for, to my mind, uh, the, the, the essence of the problem that we hear people say, well, just think it through. And, and what we've read here on two separate occasions is we do not have the capacity to think it through. Um, what, we, what we have is a, 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 a twist in our thinking that, 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 that allows us to believe, and this is page 30, uh, the idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. So no matter how much I know about, um, about uh, sexaholism, no matter how much I know about the effect that lust may have on me, no matter how many meetings I, I sit in, and hear other people sharing similar uh, stories. Uh, there is, there is uh, that will never be able to help me avoid taking that first drink. Um, a, a, a line that appears uh, many times in the book: "Self knowledge will avail me nothing." Um, now, that may seem pretty hopeless, 
and, and it truly is. That's the hopeless condition of mind and body. The hopeless condition of the mind is that, uh, that we have this obsession that says that we're going to, that, that it's going to be okay to take the next drink, even though we have a hundred or a thousand uh, experiences that show we, we, that we will uh, have a bad outcome if we take the first drink. Uh, and then the uh, uh, and then uh, we have the problem of the body, and that is the allergy. And it truly is uh, a difference in the way that our bodies are wired compared to the person who is not a sexaholic. Um, and there's good research to demonstrate that uh, that that our brains are wired differently from people who don't have the allergy. Uh, so that's the hopeless, uh, hopeless condition of mind and body. And, uh, and, and, um, on the, uh, at the bottom of, uh, I'm back in the doctor's opinion. And, uh, once again, rather than trying to give Roman numeral pages, I'm just going to say that I'm at the bot very bottom of the fourth page in the doctor's opinion. And this is uh, 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 the paragraph that many people may have heard before, that men, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. And in this particular case, uh, Dr. Silkworth is not talking about normal men and women. He's talking about alcoholic men and women. Um, and, he, and he goes on to say the sensation produced by alcohol or the sensation produced by lust is so elusive that while we admit that it is injurious, after a time we cannot differentiate the true from the false. To us, the, the sexaholic life seems like the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks, drinks which they see others taking with impunity. After they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over, and unless the person can experience an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. Here's the good news. On the other hand, and strange as it may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, or in our case, lust. The only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules. Uh, the few simple rules, by the way, are uh, the 12 steps of recovery. Uh, so, so, uh, uh, Silkworth has has beautifully described the uh, the problem uh, as a as a uh, as an obsession that that uh, uh, that that feeling of restless, irritable, and discontented that, that drives us to take the first drink. The allergy, which uh, uh, which is manifested as craving, which leads us to get insanely drunk time and time again. And then he tells us that if you can just have an entire psychic change, uh, that you can get over the, uh, the, the problem. Uh, there's another doctor whose uh, opinion uh, uh, appears in the big book, and that would be Dr. Carl Jung. And uh, again, those who have read it may recall that uh, uh, a certain American businessman um, who was an alcoholic went and talked with Dr. Jung. And after being treated by Dr. Young for a year, left treatment with high hopes and ended up drunk in short order. And um, he went back to see Dr. Young and asked if there was uh, any solution to, to this problem. And here's what Dr. Young said. Um, uh, here and there, uh, by the way, for those who are following the big book, I'm on page 27. He says, here and there, once in a while, alcoholics have had what are called vital spiritual experiences. To me, these experiences, I'm, these occurrences are 
phenomenon. They appear to be in the nature of huge emotional displacements and rearrangements. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of the lives of these men, are suddenly cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions and motives begin to dominate them. In fact, I've been trying to produce such an uh, emotional rearrangement within you. With many individuals, the methods which I employed are successful, but I've never been successful with an alcoholic of your description. Now, if we look at Dr. Young's description of the vital spiritual experience where the uh, ideas, emotions, and attitudes that are the gui- our, our guiding forces are cast to one side and we take on a whole new set of conceptions and motives, I would argue to you that that is precisely what Dr. Silkworth meant when he described an entire psychic change. And both Silkworth and Young both agreed that as physicians, they were incapable of creating this entire psychic change, this vital spiritual experience. They are not capable of helping uh, people with our problem cast aside uh, the guiding uh, forces uh, that, that have been driving us for years and find a new set of conception and motives. But if, I, I think if you will look at... Uh, what, what we are asked to do in each of the 12 steps, you will see that is precisely what is happening. We are asked to stop relying on self and believe that there might be a power greater than ourselves that can solve our problem. We're then further asked to, to, to look at our resentments from a different perspective and see where our mistakes have contributed to the problem. Uh, we are uh, encouraged to look at fear from a new perspective where we're not responsible for solving our problems with fear. We're going to rely on this power greater than ourselves to take care of this. And then instead of running from the shame, guilt, and remorse for the people we have harmed, we're going to get clarity on what we did wrong, and we're going to prepare ourselves to go make amends. When we identify the, uh, the, 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 the parts of our personality, the parts of self that have caused problems for, for, for ourselves and the people we love, we are told to surrender those, those defects of character to God. And then we're told to practice living on a different set of principles. That is how I believe, uh, we get this, this, uh, entire psychic change or vital spiritual experience. And indeed, step 12 promises us uh, only that we will have a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps. It doesn't promise us uh, a new job uh, or better life circumstances. It does, however, promise us that, uh, that if we live on this basis, we will find ourselves um, uh, no longer driven by fear, self-hatred, self-delusion, self-seeking, and all the other uh, terrible um, emotions that have been driving us. I now want to go back to uh, what I consider to be one of the most beautiful descriptions of, of, of what uh, this spiritual awakening looks like. It's on page 25, and uh, when I was asked to talk about this, my favorite passages from the big book, this was the first one that uh, came to mind. It's in the middle of page 25. It says, the great fact is just this and nothing less, that we have had deep and effective spiritual experiences, which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward God's universe. The central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our Creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. He has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. And uh, I, uh, I, I know dozens of men 
who have had this experience, and, and not just men. I know, I know uh, many women who have had this experience as well. And one of the great changes uh, that, that it talks about here is our attitude towards God's universe. When I got to uh, SA, I lived in a hostile world that was filled with evil people who wanted to use and abuse me and, and certainly could not be trusted. Today, I live in God's world, surrounded by loving and supportive friends who are with me when I have times of challenge and despair. Uh, this, this transformation has occurred, I believe, as a result of me being willing to work the steps under the guidance of my sponsor. And I am not unaware that there's still some evil people in the world. But I, I am no longer fearful, and today I, I tend to trust someone until they give me a reason not to trust, rather than starting with a fearful, distrustful attitude. Um, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the other thing I want to comment uh, uh, about about this is uh, that um, this this idea of of having the the spiritual uh, experience um, is uh, is really and truly the solution. And um, back on page seventeen, uh, there's a uh, comment that I think is really important for us to keep in mind. Uh, it's at the uh, near the bottom of the page where it's right after uh, Bill has described us as being like people on a wrecked uh, ocean liner. And he, he comments that the feeling of having shared in a common peril is one element in the powerful cement which binds us. But that in itself would never have held us together as we are now joined. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. And the common solution that we have in Sexaholics Anonymous is described in the White Book as a, a, uh, a program of recovery, that would be our 12-step program of recovery, practiced in a fellowship of recovery, that's the fellowship of Sexaholics Anonymous, on a foundation of sexual sobriety. And, um, and, and when we find this common solution, we can join together in brotherly and harmonious action to carry this solution to the still-suffering sexaholic. And I would uh, ask you to consider that, that this is the basis for our tradition one about unity uh, of purpose in our fellowship. Because as long as we have this, this, this common solution on which we can absolutely agree, we have a, a strong fellowship that can move forward and join in harmonious action, even though we may individually have certain disagreements um, about how best to do that. Um, uh, and, and, uh, and when we do this, uh, Bill describes, describes the effect of, of living on this basis um, um, and I'm on page 28 now, and um, uh, he, he, uh, he says that we in our turn sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. What seemed at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us, or if you prefer, a design for living that really works. And, um, and I want to offer uh, that for me, that this, this design for living 
um, is more than just what I uh, bring to meetings or talk about in meetings. This is a set of principles embedded in the steps and traditions that I need to practice in all of my affairs. I don't claim that I do this perfectly, but it is very important that I I do this diligently and willfully, that I I am mindful that whether I am uh, out in a restaurant dealing with the server, whether I'm at work dealing with coworkers, or any part of my life, that the principles that I have learned uh, as a member of Sexaholics Anonymous are principles that tell me how I should treat God's children. And um, um, uh, I, I was asked to talk about the big book, but this is, this is a, a, an important uh, or a good place for me to insert a plug for the 12 and 12. Uh, on page 15 uh, of the 12 and 12, Bill writes that, AA's 12 steps, which are SA's 12 steps, are a group of principles spiritual in their nature, which if practice is a way of life, will expel the obsession and enable the sufferer to live happily and usefully whole. And it is the, the repeated uh, practice of these principles over the years that have expelled the obsession with lust so that so that today I can live happily and usefully whole. In the white book, um, uh, Roy speaks about uh, looking forward to the day when the obsession, but not the temptation, will be removed. And uh, and I understand that. And I've talked with many other old timers, and some people consider me an old timer. And I guess maybe I'm getting there. But uh, the first time I heard uh, uh, Jess and later Harvey talking about being lust-free, my first thought was, here's a couple of men who need to talk to their sponsors about the concept of rigorous honesty. I heard Harvey talk about being free from lust for an entire day, and I knew that he had a very selective memory because that just simply was not possible. Uh, A few years later, when I was doing my evening uh, review and was looking for where lust had shown up and couldn't find it, uh, my first thought is that that I was uh, I was uh, back in the habit of uh, lying to myself. And I did the review again, and I really came to the conclusion that that day, from the time I got up till the time I did uh, my evening review, that uh, I really and truly had not pursued lust at all during that day. Um, and, and I just, just for the record, that did not happen uh, in the first six months. That came after a period of living um, on, on, on a spiritual basis, but it happened. I'd like to tell you that, uh, that, that I no longer have problems with lust, but the truth is that uh, I have some days where it seems like uh, lust is, is looking for me or waiting for me around every corner. Uh, but as Roy says, today it's the temptation and not the obsession. And I think everyone who's listening uh, understands the difference between the, de- uh, the two uh, because uh, all of us deal with temptations. But the obsession of waking up first thing in the morning of uh, how am I going to act out today or how am I not going to act out today? Where am I going to go to avoid uh, uh Uh, being triggered? How am I going to hide from lust? What am I going to do? That's one form of the obsession. It's the flip side of the obsession when we're in active addiction of where am I going to find it? Who am I going to engage? How am I going to act out? How am I going to avoid getting caught? But that that obsession, that has been lifted. Uh, I still have temptations, and every old-timer with whom I've spoken uh, tells me they do too. Uh, but but once the obsession has been lifted, then I no longer have to take that first drink. Uh, Silkworth said that uh, the alcoholic is restless, irritable, and discontented when he's not drinking. Uh, and, and that certainly described me in the early days of, of recovery. 
uh, suicidal, homicidal, coming out of my own skin, unable to sit still. That's pretty restless, irritable, and discontented. Uh, today, most of my days are spent happy, joyous, and free. Uh, as I said, I'm surrounded by loving and supportive friends. Uh, I, I, I now experience the joy of living. And, and when, when, that's, when that's the basis for my life, um, I, I'm no longer driven to find relief through lust. Um, and, and, and the obsession is gone. And so even though I'm still as allergic to lust as I was when I showed up, and maybe even more so today, uh, I don't have to take that first drink uh, as a result of, of this program that I've been given a design for living. Um, I think that's probably enough for, for me uh, to be uh, talking about right now. And uh, so I can, uh, I can stop and uh, take any questions. And Daniel, I see you're on. I'm not seeing the questions on this screen. Well, no, it's definitely, it's definitely not enough. We could listen to you for hours. Um, we do have uh, people have been listening and enjoying, and we've had, we haven't had that many questions right now. And, um, um, we've had one question which which you can touch upon and then maybe you want to just talk a little bit um i guess about um about how you work the steps the the question that we had because i think that really leads into it was what does your spiritual experience look like um did it happen in a moment of significant transformation or did it happen over time okay um and i think that's an excellent question um and um and certainly, um, uh, again, with limited time, I can't get everything uh, that I uh, that I like about this uh, about this book. Um, but this gets to a question that's posed uh, or, or addressed in uh, Appendix Two, titled "The Spiritual Experience," where uh, where uh, Bill makes the point that a lot of people have these these uh, overwhelming uh, experiences that happen in a flash. But most of us have what uh, he refers to as educational variety of spiritual experience. And mine certainly was the uh, educational variety. Um, now, I work the steps uh, pretty much the way that they are, that, that it's laid out in our book, uh, Step Into Action. And for those of you who have been through Step Into Action, and particularly the, 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 the sections uh, with each step where they suggest a, a one method of working the steps, uh, if you follow that, you're going to see that the uh, instructions for working the steps pretty much come straight out of the literature and especially out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, Roy is very clear in several places uh, in the white book that the instructions for working the steps do not appear in the white book. And he tells us very clear that the, the place to find those instructions are the, are, are the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 and 12. What the white book does for me is it shows me how I can apply the principles um, uh, that, that, that appear in the original 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous how I can apply those principles uh, to my problem with lust. And, uh, and so I don't think that it's, that it's either the big book or the white book uh, or the 12 and 12. I think it's all three of these together that, that really have helped me. Uh, um, uh, as, as, uh, as a lot of people uh, uh, have, have done, I, I wrote out my uh, step one, where I looked at the examples of powerlessness, examples of unmanageability. Um, I shared that with my group. Um, I, uh, I made a, uh, I, I, I looked at my old conceptions of God, where they came from, and compared those uh, ideas with, what, with the power I saw at work uh, in the rooms of recovery. And again, that's in, in Step Into Action under Step 2. Um, uh, and, and when I made my third step, uh, surrender, uh, I, I was not surrendering to, um, a particular 
uh, deity or conception of, uh, of, of God except as the power that I saw at work in the rooms of recovery. It was clear to me that my conception of, of, of God was so damaged and twisted by, by some of my experiences growing up that I needed to steer clear of any sort of, of argument, stop trying to figure it out and understand. What I needed to do was, was acknowledge there seemed to be a power working for people uh, in, in recovery and that I would surrender to that power and pursue a relationship with that power. And the commitment was uh, that I would work the remaining steps under the direction of my sponsor and pay attention to the results. Um, the, 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 the remaining uh, steps four through nine are, 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 are well identified throughout the, uh, uh, throughout our literature, both step into action, the, the, the big book, the white book. Um, I will make a, a pitch that, uh, that step six and seven are, are only a couple of paragraphs in the uh, big book. But if you read the section in the 12 steps and traditions on step six and seven, uh, that is very powerful when it comes to the idea of ongoing surrender and the pursuit of humility. And that, those, those writings that Bill uh, did when he was about 18 or 19 years sober, uh, to me, uh, are, are a really good example of how I can continue to grow uh, no matter how long I've been sober, no matter how many times uh, I have taken someone else through the steps or have gone through the steps with my sponsor. Um, and then, um, of course, steps 10, 11, and 12. Uh, and I, I will make a pitch here that step 12, um, uh, to me, uh, is, is, not, uh, is, is no more optional than any of the other steps. Um, I, as I make the observation that if, if Bill and Bob had decided to sit at the house, uh, in Dr. Bob's house, and talk about spiritual principles instead of getting off their butts and going down to the hospital uh, to help uh, Bill D, the man on the bed, uh, a alcoholic number three. Uh, if they, if Bill and Bob hadn't gone and made that call, there wouldn't be an Alcoholics Anonymous. Bill Dodson would have died from his alcoholism. Bill and Bob might or might not have been able to stay sober. One, one thing's for damn sure, millions of alcoholics and, and sexaholics would be dead today because without that 12-step program of carrying the message to others, that uh, uh, the, the fellowship doesn't grow. Uh, I will also offer that there is nothing uh, that keeps uh, this program fresh for me as much as sitting face-to-face with one or two or, or maybe a few uh, new people and, and describing to them how I work the steps. Because when I tell them how I work the steps, they will frequently want to know why I was working the steps. And sharing my first step with a newcomer, not necessarily the whole thing, but just sharing parts of it, keep remind, keeps me reminded that I have no business trying to manage my own life, that I have to have uh, direction and guidance uh, uh, of a power greater than myself. Today, I describe my higher power as God, and that's, that's my conception of God. It's not terribly different. I've had conversations. My conception of God is not that different from a lot of other people's, uh, but the, the point is that it, 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 it's not, it's not, your conception doesn't need to be the same as mine. And, uh, and, but what I do believe is that I, I need to make a conscious and willful effort to remain in conscious contact with, uh, this power. Um, so my, my experience was of an educational variety. And with that being said, I have, have had the experience many times of being in uh, some sort of spiritual activity and having an, uh, having 
an awareness of God's presence, very similar to what Bill Wilson describes uh, in his story. I've had that white light experience to where the presence of God seems just as real to me as the presence of someone else with whom I might be visiting. Um, and, and it's, uh, and I'll be honest with you, the first time it happened, it, it really scared the heck out of me. Uh, but, uh, today, while I know that that's not a, not a, uh, uh, a condition that can, can, uh, be maintained all the time, uh, it is, uh, a connection that I, I seek intentionally and willfully. Thanks. So we, we have a question from Barry in Montreal. He asks, uh, many people come to the rooms and blame their sexaholism as a result of some sort of abuse in their youth. Um, can that be true, or is it a disease that we're born with? Well, uh, for, first of all, uh, it's not an either either or. Uh, both conditions can be true. Um, and, uh, and, and uh, uh, again, going back to the big book, um, uh, there is a, a, a proposition that many, uh, some people uh, may have started off as just heavy uh, drinkers and at some point become alcoholics. Uh, there are other people who will tell you very clearly that from the time that they had their first drink, uh, they knew that they were alcoholics and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and there was no, you know, there was no, transition period at all for them. And I believe that's true for uh, sexaholics as well. Um, uh, and, and I think the, 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 that uh, one of the important considerations here that while many of us, myself included, um, have had uh, ex- experienced abuse during our childhood, that, and, and, and that, 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 abuse, that history of abuse, what happened to us, that cannot be changed. However, uh, uh, given that we have this problem and that, that the problem uh, uh, that we're talking about in SA is our addiction to lust, um, I need to get a solution without, without re- regard to what's the cause who's to blame, because none of that's going to be helpful. Now, with that being said, uh, the, the, the process of, um, of, of going through uh, step four and, and, and the process of forgiveness, forgiveness does not imply that I approve of the bad behavior of others. What it means is that the conscious decision of forgiveness is that I am no longer going to permit that person's behavior to run my life, to cause me any more pain. I am not going to re-victimize myself over and over again because of the bad behavior of someone else. Um, And I will also offer that while I think... uh, uh, the foundation of recovery, well, first the foundation of sobriety and then recovery, uh, is is absolutely essential to any real healing. Um, the Big Book um, uh, tells us that uh, that that uh, 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 God has 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 blessed us with um, good uh, psychiatrists and physicians. And and that we uh, that we should never um, uh, um, belittle the efforts of a good doctor uh, or 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 a psychiatrist. And so so the point of of this is that um, they recognized uh, eighty years ago that for some alcoholics, a psychiatrist or physician might be important to help the new person recover. And I believe that today, many of us in SA, um, we find we find recover we find sobriety and recovery in our fellowship, and then many of us need to get uh, outside help from a good therapist, psychiatrist, psychologist, or whoever it may be.
Uh, so again, I don't think it's either or, but rather both. And, um, and, 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 uh, um, I, I, uh, I probably spent close to a hundred thousand dollars on therapy before I got into recovery. And I'm going to tell you that when you show up for therapy, drunk, hungover, in withdrawal, or obsessing about your next debauch, therapy doesn't work worth a darn. Since I got into recovery, I've, I've spent a lot of time in therapy. And I'll tell you that it seems to me that when I show up for therapy, uh, clean, sober, focused, and prepared to do the work, that therapy can be very effective. So, uh, so uh, I, uh, I don't, I don't think that it's an either-or situation. I'm one of the people with profound emotional and mental disorders. Uh, I need, I needed the program of recovery. I'm grateful for it, and I'm one of the people who needs uh, help from a good therapist. Daniel, do we have any more uh, questions come in? Um, yes, we do. So we have a question from. Um from Jeff, firstly, we have a couple of questions that came in. First one is from Jeff. We have about 10 minutes left. Um, he says that, uh, thank you, I received the message through your lineage, and I'm grateful for that, although probably not sufficiently. What's your message to the young guys who want sobriety but haven't reached the bottoms that some of us have? Well, there, there's, a, uh, there's a saying I've heard both in SA and AA that your bottom is when you quit quit digging and uh and and the sad reality is that for some people the bottom is death um uh, alcoholism drug addiction and sexaholism are all fatal diseases and uh within the last few months here in nashville we had a fella uh sexaholic not an alcoholic or drug addict um uh but he uh he 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 was of the belief that uh that uh uh if he got, if he would get in recovery, he'd get his wife and, and kids back. And when he found out his wife was getting remarried, he killed himself. And um, I'd like to tell you that that's, that's unusual, but Harvey and I have, have talked about this. There have been uh, over uh, a, uh, a dozen, probably two dozen people uh, that we can think of just here in Nashville who've died as a result of their sexaholism. Um, uh, essentially, uh, it, I think what it comes down to is each individual comes to a point in the uh, course of their addiction where they decide this has got to stop. However bad it is, it's bad enough for that person to say this has got to stop. Uh, and and as, I, as I suggested, some people uh, will get to a point you think any sane person would be ready to uh, to quit and, and get sober at this point, and they keep going, and it gets worse and worse. So I, I can't identify somebody else's bottom. What I can do is, uh, and I think what our, our our process in step one is very good, uh, is to 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 draw the line between our our the the actions of our addiction and the emotional devastation that we are experiencing. And when the person decides, okay, I, this, I see how this is destroying me. I don't want it to get any worse. I'm ready to take action. Uh, then there's hope for, for, for sobriety and recovery. Okay. So we have a painful question from Ron. He says, thanks, Bill. I, I had been damaged by my mom telling me as a six or seven year old that I was making the devil happy and I was going to burn in hell. I rebelled against God, but it has changed next from recovery in another, uh, but it has changed next from recovery in another program. I feel evil. My wife who is divorcing me said I'm a bad person with a bad disease, mocking my comment that I'm a good person with a bad disease. I need a healthy spirituality. I struggle with trusting God. I blame him. How can I get a better relationship with him? Um, I, I don't. I don't have a simple uh, uh, one, two, three uh, step process. Uh, what I will tell you is that that I found that going through the process of uh, 
uh, uh, uh, the step two process is described in, in step into action and um, and identifying the characteristics of the the power I saw at work in um, in in the rooms of recovery um, and 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 writing a, a clear and concise description of of this power um, and 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 I'll, I'll, I'll give an example um, um, my my God is a loving and gracious heavenly Father who delights in me now that made no sense to me 25 years ago today it's just part of my reality um, uh, as much as uh, a description of uh, of of any of my friends this that's just that's just the the conception that I have of of God um, another uh, so so first of all I had to do my work to look at what are my old ideas how did they develop and uh, and then look at how how are the how are these old ideas in conflict with the evidence I see in front of me another thing is that I I uh, uh, I spend time intentionally spend time with other spiritual people some of whom are in recovery some of whom uh, uh, get their spirituality from their religion it doesn't really matter but people who are are living their lives um, in an effort to, to establish a relationship with with a God of their understanding and I listen to what they say and I share what my experience is and by doing that I reinforce I reinforce uh, what my beliefs are and I open myself to new ideas from other people I'll be honest the conception I have of God today is not the conception I had 10 years ago. Ten years ago, I was pretty happy with the conception of God that I had because he kept me sober for 15 years. Um, but my, my, my experience and relationship with God continues to grow, and I suspect that uh, five years from now, uh, if I look back on this day, I'll, I will have to say, that, that, that my conception of God, my experience of God, my relationship with God has continued to grow um, as I move forward. And if that doesn't happen, the sad reality is that means the re- whatever I'm doing, I'm really wasting my time. Uh, uh, in, in a, if I'm in a spiritual program and I'm not growing spiritually, I'm wasting my time. So I'm okay with the idea that, that, that I'm, I haven't gotten where I'm going to be and thank God that God's not finished with me yet. So final question before we wrap up. Um, hi, I'm only an essay for six or seven months. This is from Stefan. And I struggle a lot to believe in a higher power. I'm accepting there is something else. Just I struggle to make anything my higher power and struggle a lot with this. How would you advise I find a higher power? Um, work the steps. Um, my, 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 uh, experience and conception with God began when I, I started, started, uh, I made the surrender that there, there was something working for other people in SA and I wanted to find that power. And then I did, uh, uh, the, the remaining steps under the direction of my sponsor. And, uh, as I went through that process, um, the, the, the consciousness of of my belief gradually uh, came to me. It 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 was gradual and it took time, and that would be the best suggestion I have. Thank you so much, Bill. Um, so, if you want to um, wrap up with a little short just conclusion and a, and a prayer of your choice, and then we're going to move on to Brendan, who's going to come and join us over here from uh, multitasking on channel A on channel B. And we really appreciate you, you coming here and joining us. Well, again, thanks to everyone who has uh, who has been a part of this. And uh, uh, what I would like to do is uh, close with a reading that we frequently use at, at our, our meetings. And it's the uh, 
uh, it's it's the vision for you. Uh, uh, ab- abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of this ministry, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. And uh, I, I think what I'd like to do now is close with the step seven prayer. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. Amen.